Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? It is good to see you this morning. Welcome to Palm Sunday at Mount Perrin North. I'm so glad you're here. So glad you're starting your Holy Week with us, and I hope you'll continue that on Good Friday and Easter Sunday with us as well. This morning, I get the chance to um, talk to you from the traditional passage of what Palm Sunday and when Jesus, Jesus enters into Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, and I'm going to start off by reading the first 11 verses, Matthew chapter 21. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them before for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, in these next few moments, be with us as you already have. Thank you for your presence during worship. Thank you for presence during our prayer. Thank you for presence that was here as we celebrated water baptism from someone who has gone from death to life because of the life of Jesus Christ come alive in them. I pray right now that you would anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth. Anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them. These people do not need to hear from me today. They need to hear from you. So speak to them through me today. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you accomplish everything you have already said in your heart to do in our lives for your glory. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Palm Sunday is one of those days where we... we if you've grown up in church at all, if you've attended church in any type of, uh, especially in the past, Palm Sunday was one of those days where it was a lot of times the day where the children would join the main service. They would have some sort of a program. The kids would come in. They would have Jesus, and they would have the kids with palm branches, and they would wave them at him. It was this sweet, nice, serene. I mean, if you were a brave church, you might even have a live animal come in, Right? But you definitely have the kids there, and everything seems so sweet. They just give these warm, fuzzy feelings inside about, oh, Jesus coming in. Can I just tell you, that is nothing like the scene that actually takes place. Nothing. Jerusalem is packed. A town that is normally 50,000 people, that town is now shoulder to shoulder at beyond capacity at 250,000 people who were there to celebrate the Jewish feast of Passover. It is filled with excitement. Such excitement because they are celebrating 1,500 years prior to this that God, through his miraculous power, had brought them out of slavery, 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and has brought them into a place where they were free people following God. This is what the celebration is about. They remember what God has done. They're looking forward to the things God will do in the future as well. It is filled with excitement. It is filled with anticipation. 
because Jerusalem and the Jewish people have been occupied by the Roman government for almost 100 years. For the previous almost 600 years, they have been occupied by one nation after another. They have been counted as conquered people and property. And they are ready to be their own people again. And they're wondering, when is God going to send his Savior, what they term in the Old Testament, his Messiah, to finally throw off the oppression and the invasion of Rome and set them free again? It is filled with excitement. It is filled with anticipation. And it is filled with tension. Because most revolutions would start during these times. When the city is filled beyond capacity, and revolutions and revolts would begin. And so there is the largest presence of Roman soldiers of any other time in that place. And they are all on high alert in order to put down any hint of a revolution or revolt. Excitement, anticipation, tension, all of it is taking place. This place is almost a powder keg. And then this event that we read about happens. Someone begins to enter Jerusalem with crowds going before them, crowds coming behind them. This is no small event. This didn't just happen and a few people saw it. No, the Bible tells us in verse 10 that the whole city was stirred The word stirred is probably the worst, weakest translation of this word. In other places, in Matthew chapter 27, the same word is used to describe the earthquake that happens after Jesus rises from the dead. In Revelation chapter 6, the same word that is translated stirred in this version right now is translated as describing the end times apocalyptic nature of end times things that are taking place and the upheaval that will take place. Two of the best translations that literally explain it say that the city was wild with excitement and thrown into commotion. This is no small event. Every person, every person is aware of what's going on and no one is unaffected. And what is this event? Jesus arrives and prepares to give his life for their sins, for your sins, for my sins. The crowds that are going before him are yelling, Hosanna. The crowds that are going, following behind are yelling, Hosanna. This is going back to the Old Testament, this word. It's found in Psalm chapter 118, verses 25 and 26. The Bible tells us in this psalm that it's a prediction of when God is going to send the Savior and the Messiah. Here's what it says. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Those first three words, Lord, save us, literally, that is the word Hosanna. 
Hosanna literally means Lord save us. So the crowds are all behind him. The crowds are all in front of him. They are throwing their coats down. Jesus is coming in. He's riding on a donkey, which is something that someone of royalty or regalness would come in on. They are shouting Hosanna, throwing their coats down, letting the donkey step on their coats because they are showing such great um, worship and honor to Jesus. They are waving palm branches. This is a symbol and an idea of a king or a general that is coming back in a victory parade from a military victory. And these people are yelling, Lord, save us. So if everyone's yelling, Lord, save us, it begs the question, save us from what? We read this scene, and we imagine that everyone is happy that Jesus has arrived on the scene. But that is not the case. Different people viewing it through different lenses and different perspectives, all with different backgrounds, are viewing this with questions in their mind. There are Roman soldiers, Roman soldiers that wonder in this day, is this the day? that I'm gonna have to take up these weapons that I've been trained in? Is a revolt gonna start? Am I gonna have to take somebody's life because somebody rises up? Something I don't wanna do. Am I I gonna be forced to take someone's life today? Religious leaders are looking at this scene wondering about Jesus. Is he really a Messiah? Is he really savior? Or is he just someone who wants to take away my political power and authority in this place? There's a group called the Zealots. These are people who don't want Rome there. They want Rome to leave and be done with them. And they are looking for any way possible to gather arms, to revolt, and get behind somebody that they can follow in order to revolt and have a revolution against Rome. And they're wondering, is this the guy? Is he the one that's going to lead the revolt? Is he the one that's going to throw off the Roman oppression and the occupation that has been here for over 100 years? There are the sick who are wondering, is he going to pass by me today? Is he going to heal me? There are the poor. Is this the day that this guy's going to come here and take me out of abject poverty that I've lived in for so long? Different people, different backgrounds, all shouting the same thing. Lord, save us but for completely different reasons. Some are there, and they shout, Hosanna, Lord, save us, just out of habit. In Psalm 118, we see Hosanna there. This is what they're looking back to. But the reality is, by the time Jesus, in the first century, comes on the scene, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us, has a deep meaning, has been somewhat relegated to an act of praise, but almost ritual. It's lost its meaning for a lot of people. They say it, but they won't really mean, Lord, save me. It's It's a word of praise, but they don't really know what it means or utilize it well. They're doing it out of habit. They're not worshiping Jesus. They're just getting caught up it's hard to describe. Let me see if I can do it this way. There, there were, uh, in my first pastorate at a small church, there were two guys that were in this church. Um, and one of them, always, I mean, great guy, exuberant in his praise, exuberant in his worship. And, but he always, 
I, I'm not sure why. He always, he could never say hallelujah by itself. He could never say praise the Lord by itself. It had to be hallelujah, praise the Lord, or praise the Lord, hallelujah. Now, the humorous part of this is hallelujah means praise the Lord. So in essence, you're saying the exact same thing right back to, it would be like saying hallelujah, hallelujah, or praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He doesn't know that it's just a habit that he's, that there's nothing wrong. He wasn't doing anything theologically wrong. It's just become a habit that's lost the meaning in his mind. There's another guy there that this guy just, he wanted to encourage me. Young preacher, young pastor, he wanted to encourage me. And this guy would say, amen. Now listen, first service, I had people confused. I'll let you know, okay? So listen. But this guy would say, amen, during my sermon. Like when I say all the time, I mean all the time. So I could be preaching, just going along. And when I, I'm not making up the pace of this. It could be, amen, amen, amen. Amen? I'm not convincing this. This is like all in. The word amen means let it be so. Let it be so. One day I'm preaching and I'm trying to give an illustration and I said the other day I had to go to Walmart and this guy said amen. <laughs> and I'm thinking no one that is saved says, let it be so, to go into Walmart. No one. Now, just so you know, after the service was over with, somebody came up to me and I was, we were talking and they said, amen. They went, oh, sorry. I went, no, 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 that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. I'm saying there are moments in time where the words lose their meaning and they become a habitual habit of praise where we just say them and we don't mean... There are people there that are caught up in the emotion. They are caught up in the things that are going on and they are just saying whatever they can. They're not declaring Jesus as Lord. They're not acknowledging him as the son of God. They're just getting caught up in the moment. There are some people who are shouting Hosanna out of desperation because of the gravity of their needs. Their needs are so great. They're saying, Lord, save us. Save me. And we know what this feels like. You, you may not say, Hosanna, Lord, save me. But you probably say something like this. God, you said you would never leave me nor forsake me. Why don't I feel your presence right now? God, you said you'd provide for me. Why is it every single month I'm always short on money? God, you said you would order my steps. Why is it that I'm having so much difficulty for making this decision in my life? God, you said you would make me whole. Why is it that I am physically, emotionally struggling right now? Some people shout Hosanna out of habit. Some people shout Hosanna out of desperation. And then some people shout Hosanna out of deep, deep faith, knowing that God knows what my deepest need is and knows how best to meet that need. So many of these people 
on this moment that are going before him, that are following behind him and shouting Hosanna. This is the answer. Lord, save us. Five days later, we'll change their tune. And instead of Lord, save us, they'll say crucify him. He's not who we thought he was. He's not doing things the way we thought he would do them. And he's not doing them fast enough. Crucify him. So many people want to define God's goodness and his power and his authority by how he responds to their circumstances. And that is getting it completely backwards. In a few moments, we're going to pray for each other. Those of you who have need, we're going to believe God's going to meet you at your point of need today. But one thing you need to know is this, is that Jesus came to meet a deeper need than what you think is the most desperate need you have right now. Four things I need you to know really quickly. If you focus on your circumstances, you magnify the problem. If you focus on your circumstances, you magnify the problem. Now, here's here's the funny thing. If you magnify anything, you don't actually make it bigger. Microscope, telescope, magnifying glass, they look bigger, but they're not. You see them bigger, but they're actually not. If you focus on your circumstances, you begin to magnify the problem. They're not bigger than they already were, but they seem bigger to you with this problem. The disciples did this. We do this. The disciples are in a boat. They're fishermen. They're in a boat with Jesus. There's a storm coming, and it's it's a storm like they've never seen before. The Bible says that they are worried that they are going to die. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they go to Jesus, and these are the words they say to Jesus. Lord, do you not care that we're all about to die? Do you not care? Another time, Jesus is teaching in a remote area. His disciples are there. It's late in the evening. Jesus, they, come, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, we have a problem here. There's nowhere for these people to eat. And there's nothing we can do. We need to send them away so that they can get something to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. And they said, eight months of wages, the average daily wage, couldn't give even a bite to these people. There are 5,000 families right around here right now. There's no way. And Jesus said, what do you have? And they said, well, here's what we have. We've got a little boy's lunch. Two fish, five loaves of bread, small loaves of bread. Jesus takes that, works a miracle, feeds everybody, and has an unbelievable amount of leftovers. That's not what I want you to think about this morning. Jesus asked them a question. What's the need? The need was these people need to eat. And he said, you feed them. And they said, we can't do it. And he said, what do you have? And the first thing they said was, we've got a little boy's lunch. They focused on the problem. They focused on the meagerness of their resources. Do you know what they had? They had the creator of all the universe standing right there. 
They focused on a little boy's lunch to show what little that they had. What they did not realize is the Lord of all heaven and earth was standing right there. When they go to him in the boat and say, do you not care that we are going to drown? What they fail to recognize is the one who created the very water that they were worried about, the one who could stand up and speak to the wind and the waves and the storm and tell it to be still was in the boat with them. What do you have? Sometimes we focus so much on the circumstances and the meagerness of the resources we think are going to answer our problem, we forget that the creator of all the universe cared enough for us to come to this earth, to die for us, to give us life, to give us hope, to give us peace in his presence and his power. And he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. What you have is Jesus himself. But if you focus on your circumstances, you simply magnify the problem. But if you focus on the promises of God, you invite the power and authority of God into your very life. Do you know it is impossible to magnify the power and the authority of God? Because you can't even comprehend it. You can't make it bigger because it's unlimited. When you focus on the promises of God, you just invite that power and that authority into your life. Jesus can meet your immediate needs for your health, for your finances, for your emotions. Jesus can meet that. But can I tell you something? The reason sometimes we have immediate needs is so that we will bring them to Jesus. Your difficult circumstances bring you to Jesus. There's a passage that people love to quote and they they get it wrong. Here's what they say. The Bible tells us that God won't give us more than we could handle. That is not what it says. It says, it's talking about temptation. It says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear. Listen to me, look at me. God will absolutely allow you to encounter more than you can do on your own so that you'll come to him and see what he can do in your life. Absolutely. And he can meet your immediate needs, but can I tell you something? He came to reach a deeper need that you and I have, a need that our relationship with the Father has been broken since the beginning, a need that we have because sin has damaged that relationship, and Jesus came to make it whole. And he came to put the future and the promises of God in our lives on a daily basis, but also the power and the presence and the authority of God to live in us forever in eternal life. He knows your immediate need. He he cares more about your deepest need. Your immediate needs brings you to him so that he can reconcile you to the Father. Third thing I need you to know is this. Never interpret the promises of God by your circumstances. Don't interpret God's promises through your circumstances. We make that mistake. We look at our circumstances and, and then we're trying to find a verse that fits it or fixes it. Instead of looking at the promises of God and allowing the promises of God to speak to our circumstances. Here, 
This is what I love. Um, some of you probably heard of, uh, of a pastor named Joel Osteen. His father, John Osteen, founded the church years and years and years ago before he passed away. Um, and he had a great saying. I love this saying. He said it all the time. He said, stop telling God how big your problems are and start telling your problems how big your God is. This, this is the reality. Is you can't allow the promises of God to be interpreted by your circumstances. Instead, the final thing I want you to see is this. You have to apply the promises of God to your circumstances. See, we want to get it backwards. We have to apply those promises that are real, they are true, they are relevant, and even though they were written long ago, they are still applicable to our lives today. There were a couple of things a few years ago that in situations that I was involved in that just spoke to me. One of them was here, probably a year or two after I arrived in probably 07, 08. I was in a meeting. There was a lot of uh, us in the meeting and we were doing a discussion. One of the guys in the meeting was Pastor David Lewis. And in the meeting, um, I don't even remember what we were discussing. I don't remember what it was. I don't even remember what David said, but David commented on whatever it was. And someone disagreed with him, which is fine. We disagree all the time. That's fine. They disagreed with him. Well, after they disagreed, someone felt like they were wrongly disagreeing with David. So they kind of chimed in. They said, I don't think that's what David was saying at all. Here's what I think David was saying. Okay. Somebody else chimed in and went, well, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what David was saying. I, I think this is what David was saying. I even found myself, three or four people, I found myself almost getting sucked into this, literally said, I'm not sure if that's what David meant at all. And by the time I got it out of my mouth, David said, hey, I'm right here. If you want to know what I meant, I can tell you. This is what we do to God all the time. I'm going through this. I think this is what God meant. And God has already defined what he means. He's just waiting for us to apply that meaning to our lives. Also, several years ago, I was pastoring in Ohio. I usually got, uh, I was at the church in my office. It was on the other end of the building. Service was about to begin. I'm walking into service. I'm, usually, I got there a few minutes early uh, into the, the worship center. And so when I got there, though, this time, there was probably, I don't know, one minute, maybe 90 seconds before service was supposed to start. As I walked into the doors like this, this was the way that you could go. I walked into the doors there was one of our um, uh, worship center hosts, the usher, and this guy was faithful, everything, a little high strung, but faithful. And um, he, he saw me come in and walked up. I mean, weird look on his face. Like he came up to me like really in a hurry. And he looked at me and he's just like, hey, said, hey, <laughs> snapped his finger, said, you're almost late. <laughs> well, my filter wasn't working that morning. So <laughs> I looked back and I said, Hey, you know what that's called? On time. <laughs> With the Lord as my witness, I walked past him, walked down to the front row, and didn't have enough time for the service to start. When God spoke into my heart and just said, that's what you do to me all the time. You keep accusing me of being almost late. 
You keep worrying because I'm not showing up on your timetable. When I'm never late, I'm always on time. Every time, at just the right time, in just the nick of time. God's already defined what his promises are. He's asking you to have faith to apply them. He's also asking you to have faith to trust him that his timing is perfect. There was something I saw this week I've never seen in this passage before. It's that way when you study scripture and there are things that just leap off the page that should have leapt off the page to you years ago. In verse 3, Jesus tells his disciples to go get the donkey. And he says, if anyone asks what you're doing, tell them. The Lord needs them. What he said is this. Tell them the Lord needs them. As he's coming into Jerusalem... The crowds before him, the crowds behind him, they're all proclaiming, Lord, save us. And the other people that are standing around, who is this? And their response in verse 11 is, this is a prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. He's a mouthpiece of God. We believe he speaks on behalf of God and we hope he has an answer from God. That's how they see him. When Jesus said, what I need you to see me as, as Lord. I'm not just a representation of God. I'm not just a mouthpiece of God. I'm not even utilized as the hand of God sometimes. I am Lord. I am God. For whatever circumstance you face this morning, Jesus is not a representation of God. He's not a way to the answer. He is the answer. He's the answer to the brokenness of your life. He's the answer to the brokenness of your relationship with him that needs to be restored today. He's the answer to your health problem. He's the answer to your emotional problem. He's the answer to your financial problem. But more than that, he's the answer to the peace that you need more than anything else right now. And your only response should be, Lord, save us. Lord, save me. Save us with your power. Save us with your purpose. Save us with your divine plan. Save us right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Some of you that are here in the room watching online, you know, you know when you came in this place, things aren't right between you and the Lord. And before you bring your circumstance to him, what he wants to do is to save you from the brokenness that's deep inside your heart and restore the relationship with God that he wants and is intended for you all your life. 
And if that's you, you know when you came in here, things aren't right between you and the Lord. I'm going to ask you to just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize that I am in desperate need of you. I realize that my hope is in you. And I realize that I need you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from my unrighteousness so that I may be made whole. And I'm surrendering my life to you today, yielding to your lordship. Be magnified in my life, and I'll never be the same. Now, just in the room right now, would you just, everyone pray this prayer of profession with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, one more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, no one but me and our grow team looking around. I'm not here to embarrass you, call you out. What I'm asking you to do is to say, if that's you, you know things aren't right between you and the Lord when you came in this place, but you're making a decision to follow Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time. You say, I need you to pray for me this week, Pastor. Would you be bold enough to just raise your hand really high and keep it up just for a moment, please? Amen. You're not alone. Not alone. Just keep him up just for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. All right, you can put them down. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for changed, restored lives that have been given hope. I pray that any weight of sin or shame or guilt that they may have brought in here would be lifted now in the name of Jesus. And I pray that hope would invade their hearts and their souls and their minds. God, I thank you for the divine plan for you that you have for their lives. I thank you also for the folks that are in this room right now, that they are facing difficult circumstances. And today they need to bring them to you without trying to tell you how to fix it, without trying to tell you when to fix it, but just bring it to you and allow you, the Lord of all heaven and earth, to meet their needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus in a way that will bring you glory and God will bring good to us. And Lord, by faith, we just believe that's gonna happen now in these next few moments. In Christ's name, amen and amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. We're gonna worship together. Our prayer team is coming. They're gonna be right down front here. Here's what I need you to know. If you have a need, whether that's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial, relational, whatever it is, if you have a need, you came in here today, don't leave here without having someone agree with you in prayer. Bring it to Jesus today and let him do what only he can do today. So as we begin to worship, I'm gonna invite you. If you have a need, just step out. Come let one of our prayer team pray with you. Let's worship together and let's believe together right now.
sing our rest. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithful. I will rest. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithful. I will rest. Come on, declare. I will rest in your promises. My Sing it to him. Sing faithful. Come on, church, you sing. tell you something whether you came for prayer or whether you worshiped and just gave something to Jesus today listen to me there's probably going to be a time in the next day or two where you're going to hear a voice in your head that says nothing's changed don't you listen to the lie of the enemy you stand on the word and the promises of God because he is true and he is faithful and he has promised you He'll never leave you, never forsake you. And he's promised you that he will bring you through every circumstance with him. Here's what I know. Is that when your circumstances bring you to Jesus, you get more power, more grace, more authority than you have ever imagined in your life. Amen? I believe that. Would you celebrate with me today? 16 people gave their hearts to Jesus today. This place. Come on. Come on. Amen. Amen. At the end of uh, when service is over with, our grow team is down here at the front. We'd love to talk with you. Maybe one of our grow team might approach you and just let you know we're so proud of you. And just ask you, is there any way we can help you get this walk with Jesus started? Also, if you just want to find out some information about getting plugged in at Mount Perry North, come ask some one of these folks. Take about two minutes of your time, and we would love to help you in that process as well. Don't forget this week. It's Holy Week. Good Friday service here at 7 p.m. right here in the Worship Center. And then next Sunday, we have four opportunities for you to worship, 7 a.m. at the ball fields at the sunrise service, and then different times next week, all right? All right, 8.30, 10, and 11.30 are our worship times in the worship center. Let's do that together, okay? 8.30, 10, and 11.30, all right? Here's what I know also. 84% of people say they will come to an Easter service if they are invited by a friend. And you say, you don't know my friend. I'm telling you, stats don't lie, okay? 
Find someone. Ask God to reveal someone to you through the power of the Holy Spirit that you need to invite. Bring someone with you because it could change their life and it could change their eternity in a moment. So I can't wait to see you this week. I can't wait to see your friends here. And I'm believing that God's going to do something great in their lives this week. Amen? Amen. Before you get out of here, allow me the privilege to bless you from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. I love you. Have a great day.